But what we want to look at is the last week of the Lord and the consequences that had and the blessings that it brings to us today. Vital, vital for our very salvation. Well, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ only went down to Jericho, as we see there, and he went from Jericho, brethren and sisters, towards Jerusalem. But there we are. There's that journey that we are talking about. He went up from Jericho to Bethany and then finally into Jerusalem. Like the lamb in Exodus chapter 12, the Lord was observed by the nation from the 10th to the 14th of Abib. All right. And they saw that he was without fault. They could not find any fault in him whatsoever. But you see, even those Jews who followed him didn't seem to fully understand who he was. There is no shadow of doubt that he is the greatest and most important man in world history. But if you ask the wise man who he was, they'd say he's the king of the Jews. You ask John the Baptist who he was. One mightier than I, you ask the blind man who he was, he'd say the son of David. You ask the Galileans who he was, and they'd say the carpenter's son. You asked Herod, he'd say John the Baptist risen from the dead. Ask the Jews, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. The Lord himself said, I am the good teacher, the good master. You ask the multitude that followed, the, followed him and they'd say the prophet of Nazareth. Ask Peter. Came the closest of all, Christ, the son of the living God. And ask the voice from heaven. He is my beloved son. And the spirit word. He is the word made flesh. And the Lord himself said, I am come a light into the world. But you see, brethren and sisters, it wasn't until he rose from the dead that they fully understood that. Now, you come with me to Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus. And here we are. Here's people, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought he'd perished and didn't realise what was going on. But finally, they're intercepted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, what they discovered. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him and, and said unto him, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in and tarried with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it, and their eyes were open. Finally, they appreciated that he was indeed the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The coming Christ who would, yes, save them and rule the earth. Well, they discovered that 
because of the resurrection. So truly he was the greatest man that ever lived, though not yet fully understood by many in that day until in that week. Well, let's move through that week. But first of all, let us remember in Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 and 6, it states that the lamb was to be selected on the 10th of Abib, observed the nation until the 14th of Abib. We read, don't we, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the 10th day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So they had the lamb in their house. And ye shall keep him, verse 6 says, until the 14th day of the same. They would observe that he was without fault. And the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill him in the evening. So here we have those days from the 10th to the 14th. Well, there they are laid out for us. We're going to start at the 9th and follow through to the 14th when he was crucified. But I want you to understand that the Jewish day starts at 6 p.m. And on several occasions, that becomes quite important for us. It goes from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., unlike our days. So there we have it. So that's what we're going to consider. So... Whoops. So we will then go through the last days from the crucifixion on the 14th day through to the resurrection on the, well, the tail end of the day, the third day. So here we are. Come on. Right. So there are the days. And today what we're going to look at, the first day we're going to look at is Friday before they selected the lamb or observed him at Jerusalem. So on Friday the 9th of Abib, Jesus climbed from Jericho to Bethany. John chapter 12 tells us that. It says six days before the Passover, which was held on the 14th, as we know, he spent the night with Mary, Martha and Lazarus, of course, at Bethany. So he left Jericho, Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. He arrived at Bethany. John chapter 12, verse 1, and Mary there anoints him, Jesus says, for his sacrifice, for his death. And the crowd comes to see him there at Bethany. So there's the journey. Here we are. Here's the map. So he left Jericho and went through the area of Bethany. Matthew 20, as we said before, they departed from Jericho. And six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. There was the journey. Jesus went up into the hills toward Jerusalem. He went to Bethany, which was a Sabbath day's journey from Jerusalem. He came back and forth to Bethany, but it was as if he was in Jerusalem where they could all see him and observe him. So here we are now. We come to the first day, Saturday the 10th of Abib the first day when the Jews were to select the lamb. And, of course, what did he do on that day? On the 10th of Abib, he came into Jerusalem that the lamb might be examined. 
Bethany, as we said before, as Acts chapter 1 verse 12 tells us, it was a seven days journey from Jerusalem. So as John chapter 12 verse 12 to 13 declares, on the next day much people were come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches. So here he is. He's coming to Jerusalem for that first time in this period that we're talking about. Mark 11 says Jerusalem, Jesus entered in Jerusalem into the temple and stayed there all day and at eventide, so close to the close of that day. Remember, 6 p.m. was the end of the day. He went out to Bethany. So he made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. There it was. He rode upon an ass, wasn't it? And as he went into Jerusalem there, he was confronted by some of the Greeks. And there, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it declares that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And then he entered into the temple and he returned to Bethany. So we can see what took place that day. There it is today. It's as if he left Bethany and went over to the temple and there made that triumphant entry. Of course, that's not the temple as we know it, but there it is in that same place. And they brought a cult to Jesus like, one king, like a king and he sat upon it. And Jesus entered in Jerusalem and they observed him. And into the temple he went, brethren and sisters. He went to that temple and there he spoke to them and referred to, and there he was challenged. Now, if you come with me to, no, next day. We'll wait till a little later. All right. And so he came into Bethany. He returned back to Bethany with the 12. So here is the entry into the temple that he executed that day. And then he went back to Bethany. There's the depiction of the temple as, you know, the model of the temple is in today in Jerusalem. The model of what that temple was like at that time in the days, probably in the days of Solomon or in the days of Christ. Well, the next day was Saturday the 10th of Abib. And he had to be in Jerusalem that the land may be examined. Bethany was a Sabbath day's journey, as we said before. So there he was. So Christ, sorry, Christ that day, that same 10th of Abib that we referred to before, Jesus made his royal entry into Jerusalem. So they all saw it, coming in, riding upon an ass as the king might do. Here was a declaration from them all to see. But now coming to the next day, Sunday the 11th of Abib, again he returned to Jerusalem. This time, on Sunday the 11th, he came into Jerusalem, as Mark 11 tells us, on the morrow. When they were come from Bethany, he was unhungered, and he saw a fig tree. There we've got it depicted before us. And what did he do to that fig tree? He cursed that fig tree. We read of that. We could read of that in Mark chapter 11, verse 13 to 14. We probably haven't got time. And then... He clears the temple and returns to Bethany. You can see that depicted for us on the right. So he entered into temple, Jerusalem. He cursed the fig tree and he overturned the tables of the money changers 
there they were, they were exploiting religion for monetary reasons. That's not what they should have been doing. And so he entered into that temple, as Matthew chapter 21 says, and Jesus went into the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So he entered in and there. Over in that area, tradition has it that the tables of the money changers were, where they could buy sacrifices and such like. And they were exploiting that for monetary reasons. And so he left there. And now, Sunday the 11th, he came again to Jerusalem. Well, that was the day we looked at before. On that same day, he re-entered re Jerusalem. He cursed the featuring overturned the money tables, and Jesus condemned the wicked jury. Well, let's come to the next day, Monday the 12th of April. This time again, he entered into Jerusalem, but things were changed on the way. They saw that the fig tree was withered. There we can see a fig tree on the left. There we can see it centrally. It had withered. They came again and saw the fig tree die. Why? Because of the wicked nature of the nation. They were exploiting religion for money. Then in the evening, he began the Olivet prophecies as he went out, into the, out of the temple. So we see the fig tree with it, Mark 11. The temple controversy in Jerusalem, Mark chapter 11. And verses 12 to 14. Now, if you'd like to turn with me, we can read that, and I'll read that from Matthew chapter 22. If you come with me to Matthew chapter 22, we can see some of the controversy executed in the temple. Verse 23. Matthew, sorry. Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. The same day came... To him, the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, asked him, saying, Master, if a man die, having no children, and his father shall marry his wife and rise up a seed unto him, you know, and he had seven wives, what's to happen? How's things going to be in the resurrection? Whose wife is it going to be? And Jesus answered them. Look at the amazing answer he gave in verse 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his, at his doctrine and his teaching, brethren. No doubt they certainly were. So there, brethren, he answered the Sadducees. But look at the Pharisees in verse 34. And when the Pharisees heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. 
thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And, and so he answered amazingly those, the two mon, main religious groups at that time, brethren and sisters. And then in Matthew chapter 23, there are the eight woes that para, parallel the eight blessings of Matthew chapter 5 and 6. He has the eight woes now at the end of his preaching, the eight woes against the nation because they followed that wicked way of teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees and hadn't reformed. And so then he goes out onto the Mount of Olives in the evening, probably before 6 o'clock, and stays there that night. So Israel was condemned and shown to be a fruitless tree, brethren and sisters, a fruitless tree. And now, Tuesday, the 13th of Abib, he continued the Olivet Prophecy, brethren and sisters, out on that mountain. The Olivet Prophecy, Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, Jesus continued that Olivet Prophecy and continues his teaching, brethren and sisters, on that mount and then came back into the city the next morning and teaches them again. Come with me to Luke chapter 21 and verse 37. And in Luke chapter 21, we read in verse 37, at the close of that Olivet prophecy and in the, the daytime. So there he are. He'd been all night out there. He was teaching in the temple and at night he went out and abode in the mount that it was called the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. So he'd been all night and he came back to the temple the next day. So now what do the, to the Sadducees do? They plot his demise. Look at Luke chapter 22. We've got it still open before us. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. And so what did the, the disciples do? They were to prepare for the Passover. So Jesus went out onto the mount, stayed there all night, the Sanhedrin now can prepare to kill him or try to kill him. Meanwhile, the disciples, several of them are sent in preparation for the Passover. The nation's doom was described and the way of deliverance was demonstrated by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, brethren and sisters, we come to that last and final day when the Lord was to be crucified. What took place? Well, the first memorial meeting probably was held, nobody really knows, but it's represented on maps in the upper room. We can see represented there. Then they went up to the up, out from that upper room to Gethsemane and then returned to the high priest. He was taken captive, wasn't he? And taken back to the high priest's palace. And then, brethren and sisters, sent to the Sanhedrin at dawn and then, brethren and sisters, sent to Pilate for the first time. 
then uh, sent to Herod and then back to Pilate again, brethren and sisters. And so we can see that 24-hour period was a terribly intense period and very compact with a lot of terrible things that were to take place that night and the next day. But first of all, let's consider it in a little bit more detail. There's the day we're going to look at now. But here are the last three days, well, the last three days through to his crucifixion and resurrection. Let's look at it again. There they are. There's the 14th, the crucifixion and burial. And there we can see what happened during that day. First of all, the memorial meeting probably happened still while there's a little bit of daylight. And then into the memorial meeting in the upper room. And then he prays in the garden, brethren and sisters. He prays in that garden three times. And then finally, treacherously, Pilate comes with the soldiers and he's taken captive. John and Peter follow him. And then he faces six trials, significant number. And finally, around about 9 a.m., he was crucified. And he spoke those seven sayings upon the cross. And in the last three of those, gross darkness came over the earth. And finally, he was buried. Let's follow through those days now. So Wednesday the 14th was the preparation for the Passover when the lamb was slain in Exodus chapter 12, verse 6. We read that before, didn't we? That evening, about 6 p.m., the Last Supper was held. Then they entered the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, of course, prayed several times. And after midnight, we remember, then came the soldiers, led by Judas, and taken captive. And he was taken, of course, into the high priest's palace. And there he faced six trials before Annas and Caiaphas. In some ways, there were two high priests there. We'll talk about that in a minute. And there he was judged by Annas, first of all, then Caiaphas. And as Luke chapter 22, verse 66 says to us, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into the council. There he was before the Sanhedrin with the dawn. That was the third trial. Remember, there's only a few hours now. Finally, Pilate judge is put before Pilate. They try to get him to crucify him. He sends them to Herod, possibly thinking he might find an answer to problems. Then he comes back to Pilate and in the third hour, he was crucified. As Mark chapter 15 verse 25 depicts for us. So there we've got depicted for us, before us, the picture on the left, the upper room, and there's the lamb who was crucified. So in that upper room, from about 6 p.m., probably mainly, maybe almost to midnight, who knows, was that memorial meeting that was held that we know so much about as depicted for us in John chapter 12. But then, brothers and sisters, 
that very night, of course, he went out into the garden. Garden of Gethsemane, prayed to his heavenly father, crying unto him, as Mark chapter 14 says, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible that I might pass from him. He may be praying that it might not have happened, but it looks like what he prayed, that it might be swift, that it might quickly happen and be all over. And indeed, that's indeed what happened, as we'll see a little later. So here, after those prayers, he was taken before Caiaphas, as depicted in John chapter 18, uh, before Annas, and then before Caiaphas. Annas had been deposed as proper high priest, and his son Caiaphas took over. But in some way, the Jews considered Annas still somewhat a high priest. Crazy. But then he was taken before the Sanhedrin at dawn. And then, as we shall see in a moment, the three Roman trials took place. Before Pilate, Luke 23, verses 1 to 5. Uh, before Herod then, Luke chapter 23, verses 6 to 12. And then before Pilate again, in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 25. Well, brethren and sisters, before Caiaphas. You see, maybe we could be turning up John chapter 18. But he went before Caiaphas, uh, sorry, before Annas, thanks, and who was the deposed high priest at that time. His son Caiaphas was the proper high priest. And as chapter 18, verse 13 tells us, we read there, and led him, led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest the same year. Now, verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. And Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resorted, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers with him stood, stood by, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Asterisk thou, the high priest, so. And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. So you see, brethren and sisters, in secret he said nothing. And if they had people who could bring and accuse him, surely they would have done so. If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. They could find nothing. So he sent him then to his son-in-law. But in that first trial, it was illegal. It was at night. It was private. It was not before the proper high priest. And now, before Caiaphas, we can read a little bit more about that in a moment. 
Maybe we could go to Luke chapter 24, 22. Yes, we've got time. Come with me to Luke chapter 22. This trial also was illegal, brethren and sisters. It was a plot to murder him, obviously. Witness had to be used, had to be used but none could be found. And so we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then they then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed after. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down to get together, Peter sat down among them. A certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, earnestly looking upon him and said, this man was also with him. And he denied him saying, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, thus art thou also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. You imagine it. You imagine how Peter felt. Brethren and sisters, we need to be faithful in that which we do too. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord. Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and went Italy. You know, great exhortation for us to be faithful. But reading on. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him again. And when they had unfolded him, they struck him in the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other black, other things blasphemously they spake they against him. And John chapter 20, we won't turn to it, said, I spake openly to the world. He said to Caiaphas, I ever taught it in the synagogue and in the temple whither the Jews always resorted. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? The evidence was obvious. This trial also was being held at night and no witness was found. There was no witnesses that could agree. And so we can see, brethren and sisters, the Lord, the Lamb, was truly perfect. So he was then at dawn sent before the Sanhedrin. And we read then what took place before that Sanhedrin. As soon as it was day, now it was legal for him before the Sanhedrin. They led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. Hereafter shall the Son sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. You have said it. And they said, What need we? Any further witness? For we ourselves have heard out of his own mouth. He said the absolute truth, brethren and sisters. And yet they accused him of blasphemy. They accused him of blasphemy when he had told them the absolute truth. And now they sent him before the first of the three Roman trials. And in Luke chapter 23, it states, and the multitude led him unto Pilate, 
And they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. That's what he did say. But it was true. And Pilate asked him, saying, art thou the king of the Jews? And he said, thou sayest it, it is you who says it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. So here we can see the first of those Roman trials. They then led him to Herod. <coughs> As Luke chapter 22, verses 6 to 12 declares, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him. And he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Coming back to Pilate. Pilate declares, I have examined him before you. Uh, after his third examination. A third Gentile examination. I have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof I accuse you. No, nor yet Herod. For I say you to him, and though nothing worthy of death is done unto him. And so we can see, brethren and sisters, the situation. Pilate was afraid because Jesus made a good confession. He knew that. He knew that they delivered him for envy. And if you have time, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, 27. Something that really bothered him. His wife had sent a message to him. You imagine while he's trying Jesus, in comes a message to him. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. And so it almost seems like God had intervened to bring this message. And so, brethren and sisters, Pilate repeated judgment came home. Came home to the Jews at that time came home to us today. I find in him no fault. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. He was the perfect lamb. He was that perfect sacrifice. Brethren and sisters, what a blessing we have. There, there. They crucified him. Only four words, brethren and sisters, but it spoke of a very painful, gruesome event. They laid him on the cross. It actually may have been a stake, as I've represented in that picture up there. The word cross doesn't really mean that. It means a stake, not like the pagans have. And dropped it in a hole in the ground. Normally he would have hung there for three or four days in acute agony before dying. But as verse 46 states, he finally gave up the spirit. So he was crucified on the 14th day and he died the same day. 
so achieving absolutely what Exodus chapter 12, verse 6 predicted. The 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill him in the even. And that's exactly what took place. So, brethren and sisters, there on that 14th day was a last dramatic day. Let's go back over and look again what took place. The Last Supper in the upper room. There we are before them in the garden. He prayed three times. Then before that Jews and then before the Gentiles, six trials. They find no fault in him. And finally, he was crucified and buried on that same day. Well, brethren and sisters, where he was buried, we have no absolute proof, but tradition has it from the Protestants that he was crucified just outside Jerusalem. The evidence seems possible, very strongly so, because as you can see on that map, Golgotha, the place of the skull, if you go along just a little toward the west from the garden tomb today, there is a, on the cliff face there, a face or a marking that looks very much like the place of a skull. Well, if that's so, and he was buried in a garden tomb, there is the garden tomb today. Certainly in a place like that, he was to be buried. But first, brethren and sisters, let's look at those critical sayings that are said on the cross. My dear brethren and sisters, this is worth marking in your Bible, putting Roman numerals by number one, Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is Jesus praying for the nation. Appeal for mercy to them. What a wonderful spirit. Here it is, he's crucified. He's hanging in a gross agony. And look at his spirit. Then he says, remember, he was crucified beside the two soldiers. He says to one who reformed at that time, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Note that I changed where the comma is in the King James. I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he would be, of course, in the kingdom age, God willing. And so hope was given to this man who reformed at the very last moment. And then the base of the cross was Mary, his mother. Woman, behold your son, he said. And then he turned to John and he said to John, John, you deal with her as if you were her mother. Behold your mother. What an act of love. You think in gross agony. He's caring for others, brethren and sisters. The nation, a thief, his mother. And then at that time came gross darkness over the face of the earth. For three hours, that gross darkness came down. You imagine it. The scientists wonder how it could ever have happened, but it did. God saw to it. And then he cried, didn't he? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? But if you look carefully at it in 
the psalm, it really wasn't that he forsaken him. It was that he trusted in God. He knew that God would care for him, that he was his power, my ale, my ale, that God would be with him, that he, the forsaking was only for a time that he would die and rise again. It was sure and certain that psalm shows it to us, that time's not with us to look at it closely. But then in John chapter 19, he says, I thirst, and they raced and brought to him a drink. He is his desire. And then in John chapter 19, verse 30, he says, it's finished. It was a cry of triumph, really, because he knew it was almost over. God would bless him in shortening that time. And so he says, finally, in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Father, into your hands I commend your spirit. It's worth marking those points down so that we see them in our reading, one to seven, and writing against them what the blessing was, mercy, hope, love, trust, desire, triumph, and dedication. So it was, brethren and sisters. But at that time when he perished, oh, look what happened. He yielded up the spirit. Then the veil was rent in twain. That Jewish order was taken out. The way into the holy place was opened to us, brethren and sisters, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the earth did quake and graves were opened, brethren and sisters. And people, Christians who died just before that time, came into the city and in fact witnessed to the power of his death and resurrection. So there it was, brethren and sisters. He was laid, we believe, then out into the garden tomb. It may well be that tomb that they have that's out there, but certainly in that area it would seem. Jesus rose from the dead. And then everybody understood. Jesus came and spake to them in Matthew chapter 28 and said unto them, unto his disciples, all power is given unto me in heaven and, earth, and in earth. They had a real understanding after the resurrection. Again, in John chapter 70, thou hast given him power over flesh. And in anticipation, he spoke these words, that he shall give everlasting life, eternal life, to as many as thou hast given him. We pray ourselves, brethren and sisters. What a wonderful prospect. But everybody who had faith knew it was true after the resurrection. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He truly manifested God and was a wonderful example for us, brethren and sisters, that we might model ourselves upon Yahweh by following in his footsteps and following his wonderful example. And so Revelation says in Revelation 5, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Yes, worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. Don't we feel that because of what he's achieved for us? 
through the mercy of God. What a wonderful blessing we had, brethren and sisters. What a wonderful blessing. But some were delivered. Those who were positive about the time of the crucifixion, they were delivered. We probably haven't got time to turn it up. But Simon Cyrene carried the cross, remember. And it's fascinating because in Revelation chapter, Romans chapter 16, verse 13, it speaks of his son, Rufus, as being chosen. And so it would seem that Simon, who looked reformed and associated himself with the Christian beliefs and his family came into the truth. The thief reformed. You'll be with me in paradise. Joseph at Arimathea gave him his own new tomb. Nicodemus, these are Pharisees, provided a royal burial, a hundred pounds of spices. And, you know, Jesus visited James shortly after the crucifixion. you imagine how he felt? He reformed straight away. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, in the memorial meeting that was being held after the 40 days up in Galilee, there was Mary, James and the family together. Oh, the consequences of that resurrection was profound and it can be for us if we allow it that's the critical issue and brethren and sisters others who turned their back upon it were doomed Pilate history Pilate committed suicide uh, Judas committed suicide Pilate history tells us was summoned to Rome and in AD 41 committed suicide too Caiaphas was deposed in shame. History again tells us he committed suicide in 1835. And Herod was in two years later banished to Gaul and there died in 1839. Brethren and sisters, let us be those that were delivered, not those that were doomed. All of these were affected. All of them were affected. Let us be affected, brethren and sisters. What about us? That is the burning question. We've looked at that critical week. Let us have an indelible impact upon us so that we be transformed. The coming of the Lord is very near. Let us prepare for that time, we pray. Thank you. Thank you.